Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner. Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you so much, Cody. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop, um, Triple Negative Breast Cancer, Coping with the Fear of Recurrence. And today's program is a collaboration or partnership between the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an educational grant from Daiichi Sanko, a grant from Genentech, and an independent grant from Merck and & Company, and we, thank, Inc., and we thank them for their support of today's program. Um, now, um, before we start the program, I do want to identify that there are over 700 participants on the call today, and you come from 19 countries. I'm going to mention them. Australia, Bangladesh, Brazil, Canada, Denmark, France, Hungary, India, Ireland, Israel, Kenya, Luxembourg, Netherlands, Nigeria, Norway, the Philippines, South Africa, Sweden, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a global call today. This is really a large number of participants on the call today. And we're delighted to have all of you on this call, this very important call. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Hallie Moore. And Dr. Moore is Director, Breast Oncology Program, Tostic Cancer Institute, Cleveland Clinic. And Dr. Moore will be addressing triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19 and its variants, fear of recurrence, concerns that, may come, that cancer may come back, promoting effective health care communication, and making informed treatment choices and follow-up care. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Moore. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today. I was invited to briefly discuss those topics that you just heard about, and I think we'll have an opportunity for questions a little bit later on. So this first topic, triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID-19 and its variants. Um, so concerns about COVID-19 for individuals with triple negative breast cancer or a history of triple negative breast cancer are going to be a little bit different depending on whether you have active cancer or are on active anti-cancer treatment or are in observation and follow-up. If you completed chemotherapy for an early stage cancer more than, say, a few months ago, chances are your immune system is in pretty good shape and COVID-19 related risks are going to be pretty similar to those for the general population. You can follow uh, pretty much general recommendations. On the other hand, if you have active cancer or are receiving anti-cancer treatment, particularly chemotherapy types of treatment, your immune system may be suppressed, and you'll definitely want to notify your oncology provider if you have symptoms concerning for COVID-19 or if you test positive for COVID. Uh, chemotherapy is more likely to suppress the immune system than certain targeted therapies such as immunotherapy drugs. And other targeted therapies, such as PARP inhibitors, which might be used in uh, BRCA-associated breast cancer, can also have immune-suppressing effects. So certainly, um, on, when receiving these treatments, you would want to notify your doctor if you were concerned that you might have come down with COVID. 
Management of the infection itself is going to depend on the severity of the illness, as well as your risk for progression to severe illness based on not only your cancer treatment, but your other risk factors. There are uh, monoclonal antibody treatments and antiviral medications that can be administered to reduce the severity of the illness. And it is likely that your oncologist may recommend interruption of your anti-cancer treatment until you're feeling better. So again, important to uh, keep your provider in the loop. Uh, of course, prevention of COVID-19 infection is preferable to having to treat it. Vaccination has made a big difference in the severity of illness. The boosters also seem to help, um, although the benefits may not be as long-lasting as we might like. So we're really going to have to wait and see what the recommendations will be over the long run regarding the ongoing need and frequency for these vaccines. The newer bivalent vaccines are now available and are predicted to be more effective against the currently circulating strains of COVID. In general, it is safe to get these vaccines while receiving chemotherapy or immunotherapy for breast cancer. Um, and for those that are immunosuppressed, it's prudent to also continue to take measures to avoid infection, including masking indoors when in public, good hand hygiene, et cetera. Of course, while COVID is a real concern for many individuals with triple negative breast cancer, a greater concern is this fear of recurrence of the cancer or concerns that the cancer may come back which is the next topic I was asked to address. Uh, this is a common challenge that cancer survivors face. Fears can be worsened when hearing about another individual who was newly diagnosed with cancer or with a cancer recurrence, or um, when there's a lot of information about cancer in the news, such as we may see next month uh, with October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, these fears can affect mood, sleep, relationships, work or school. And for some individuals, the fears can really be overwhelming. Um, and in those instances, it could interfere with one's ability um, you know, to, uh, to work, to function normally, or even um, to attend oncology appointments and complete those treatments that are so important. Uh, most cancer centers do have psychosocial support services, including psychologists, psychiatrists, and especially trained social workers that can be very helpful in dealing with these issues. Some, but not all, survivors will benefit from support groups or even mentoring programs where you may be matched with a cancer survivor who had a situation similar to yours. I think it can also be helpful to focus on the things that you can control, including healthy lifestyle choices with respect to nutrition and physical activity, and concentrating on the social interactions that you enjoy most. In addition, staying informed can be very important, and I imagine most of you on this call are likely doing that by virtue of the fact that you are participating in this conference. I was also invited to talk about communication in healthcare, and whether you've completed treatment and are in follow-up or whether you're currently receiving active treatment, communicating effectively with your healthcare team is very important to getting the most out of your visits. Ideally, your oncology provider will be clear in their communication, provide explanations for treatment recommendations, including risks and benefits of various options, and work with you to meet your goals. Oncologists, of course, are human beings, and it's certainly possible that we may not always bring our best communication skills to every, every appointment. So you can really help by being prepared for your appointments. Make a note of your most important concerns or questions. 
be sure to share those early on in the meeting as that really signals to the provider that those are the issues that are most important to you. It's also a good idea to bring a family member or a friend to the appointment um, that provides support and also provides an extra set of ears to help you remember to have all of your concerns addressed. In addition, make sure that you have a good understanding of what's being recommended. Consider summarizing what you've heard from the oncologist to, concern, to confirm that what we think we said is the same as what you think you heard. Communication is also an important aspect of my final topic, which is making informed choices and follow-up care. In making complicated decisions about your treatment, it can be helpful if you think ahead about what you value most and what's really important to you, and then share those values and goals with your provider. I may see two young patients with very similar early stage triple negative breast cancer for the first future fertility perhaps is an important priority, while for the other, having the highest chances of curing the cancer and being around to raise the child she already has may be the greatest priority. Each of these patients may view the risks and benefits of chemotherapy treatments in a very different way. And it's important for me to understand what's driving the decision making. I may be able to offer options to help protect fertility without sacrificing effective treatment for the cancer for the first patient, and for the second who's interested in doing everything and then some, I want to be sure to be clear about whether or not more aggressive treatments are really likely to be associated with improved outcomes in that individual situation. So another aspect of good decision, of, um, good decision making is being well informed. And in terms of follow-up care, we often don't do a lot of follow-up testing or imaging in those without evidence of active cancer but it's important that you share with your provider any persistent new symptoms or concerns so that those can be appropriately investigated. So once again, communication is important whether whatever stage you are um, in your um, cancer. Um, so I will stop there and look forward to hearing the other speakers who are here today. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Moore. That was really outstanding. And really, you set the stage for today's program and so much wonderful information. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And um, our next speaker is Dr. Um, Stuart Fleischman, and Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing events that may trigger fear of recurrence, living with continuing uncertainty, communicating with the healthcare team about quality of life and lifestyle concerns, and guidelines for preparing for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and open notes discussion. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you, everybody, for signing on to the program today. Uh, this is a somewhat complicated uh, discussion that we're having, and it's good to see that uh, many people are looking to get information about a triple negative breast cancer. Um, Dr. Messner asked for me to discuss uh, the kinds of things that uh, trigger fears and the difficulty in living with uncertainty. And to make sure I was on the right track, I 
went to the people who spend um, more time with patients, uh, sometimes hours at a time during their treatments, our oncology nurses in infusion rooms uh, or in radiation centers that see patients uh, often, uh, our oncology social workers, um, because uh, and, and our navigation team, which are, are often both uh, social workers um, and oncology nurses, because they feel many of the questions that patients um, don't necessarily ask their providers, uh, maybe feeling that we're too busy or we're not interested. Um, so uh, I, I spoke with them to see what they're hearing from patients. As far as the kinds of things that they hear um, trigger um, fears of recurrence, uh, there are a number of things. Um, it, it, as we approach uh, the Breast Cancer Awareness Month when there are pink ribbons all around and there are many corporate sponsors that put uh, pink on their logos, that can sometimes trigger a fear of recurrence. The message to, from the corporate world and by establishing a month of breast cancer awareness has been extremely helpful to many people, for many people to get mammograms, uh, for many people to learn to do breast self-exam or to go to their primary care provider or their uh, obstetrician gynecologist, whoever offers their primary care to get a clinical breast exam, an exam done by uh, somebody with, who's trained to do so. Um, but it also can um, trigger a, a negative reaction in people who are being treated for many types of cancer. Um, another thing, uh, apart from just having the pink reminders around, are uh, the TV commercials. Um, in the United States, uh, I, can, I guess more than most other countries now, many uh, TV commercials are um, concerned with um, uh, pharmaceutical products, prescription items in particular, and often the newest and most expensive treatments that are on the horizon. And these treatments have helped many people. Um, they're somewhat controversial because they're often quite expensive, but they have helped people who fall um, into the categories that the treat these uh, treatments are designed for. And seeing those commercials repeatedly on television can also figure a, a uh, uh, feelings of, of fear of recurrence or being upset by having cancer to begin with. Um, not sure exactly why that happens, but uh, this is what people speak about during their treatments, and um, we need to acknowledge that and maybe learn a little bit more about it. Um, healing that someone is diagnosed with cancer, pretty much any type of cancer, but breast cancer in particular can also trigger a recurrence. And um, patients have started to believe that if they don't have the proper genetic profile or tumor marker profile on their cancer that they feel quite let down, quite let down by their body. And often that's what people describe at the beginning of um, their treatment after they find out they have cancer. So these seem to be somewhat specialized uh, idiosyncratic reactions to this particular situation, but really could apply to many uh, cancer patients. As far as living with uncertainty, that's a really tough question to um, cover in just a few minutes. I've heard a, a number of colleagues say, well, uh, life is uncertain for me too, and that often resonates in a very empty way with most patients and families. Um, it's true, we're all living with uncertainty, but it, it doesn't really help to hear that as a, a coping style. Um, 
I, I've heard some very smart colleagues really uh, talk about the, the things that you need to do in everyday life as far as looking ahead to the future and the idea that um, many patients or some patients will feel like they can't make plans for the future because they never know if they'll be able to carry them out, if the treatments will keep them home, if they'll feel too sick to go. And an oncology social worker I worked with a number of years ago really said one day um, to a patient that when I was in the room that made so much sense, that's what travel insurance is for. And I thought it was kind of a funny comment at first, but I think she really meant that um, it's probably not the best idea to stop making plans, but to make plans realistically and to have sort of an alternative if the plans don't work out because it would be really hard for all of us not to look ahead, especially to something good um, that could help balance out some of the drudgery and the fear of being treated for cancer, for cancer over a long period of time. So I, I believe that dealing with uncertainty um, can be handled at least in part to being able to project both a negative thing and positive things where possible into the future. And that may be something like um, a, a dinner or a, uh, seeing a, a movie, um, small things or larger things, depending upon your circumstances, but uh, planning things for the future that uh, that most of us do throughout our um, our lifetimes. And I think that's the best advice I've heard over the years about how to live with uncertainty. Um, communication is essential. Uh, what we, I've been speaking about is a part and parcel of good communication between patients and the uh, multidisciplinary treatment team at, at most cancer centers. But uh, communications about quality of life concerns, often those kinds of things get put to the bottom of the question list. And, and yes, reiterate that having a list of questions before uh, you go in to see your providers is a really good thing. It really um, makes sure that you're, you're getting all of your questions answered or as many of them as possible and helps you prioritize what's most important to you at the time of the visit. It's very, very helpful as visits sometimes have become to uh, our unhappiness as yours a lot more um, truncated and shorter than they were before. So communicating about quality of life issues is important, even if it's something like dry eyes or dry nails. And that, those might seem kind of minor, but they are important during treatment. Um, and uh, Cancer Care has done a number of teleconferences about eye problems that happen with cancer. And uh, it's important to make sure that your treatment team is aware of the changes that are happening to you. Some of them can be changed and, and treated, some cannot, but it's important to um, communicate that. And it's important for us to be able to um, to uh, be able to tell you the kinds of things that are happening to other patients. Um, it won't necessarily happen to you. It's possible that it will happen, but it's important to know and, and prepare. Um, maybe if your eyes are very dry, you could use some moisturizing drops, let's say. Um, and, and that's just one of the many quality of life concerns that um, we really need to take seriously. Um, this whole communications issue has 
come into uh, great change with the COVID-19 pandemic clear across the world. Um, in many places, the in-person visit, especially follow-up or interim visits during um, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, even some post-operative visits have been moved on to telehealth. And depending upon the technology you have and where you live and the technology of the provider's office, that may be a telephone call, um, which is audio only, or it may be a video call where the provider and the patient and, uh, can actually see each other. Some kinds of things that often happen during a physical exam can be handled, but not everything. Um, telehealth is something that all of us um, have been getting used to over the past two years. I can probably say that very few of us were trained in telehealth methods, but um, it's important to um, get the most out of it. And that would mean making sure that you ha you're in a quiet place, that if the telephone need or the device you're using, the computer, the tablet needs to be charged, that it's fully charged or plugged in that you know how to connect often if it's the first time that you're doing a telehealth call that means speaking to the provider's office the day before finding out if you're going to call them if they're going to call you what you do um, and making sure that if there's any special software you need on your computer or your tablet or your phone that uh, they teach you how to download that before the call comes and exactly what time that call will be um, in addition to that, uh, one of the things that the pandemic has uh, opened up is having uh, people attend the, your visit with you, especially if those patients live in another place or are working and can't take off work to attend to your call. It's been a rather um, significant improvement in communication that take people who live even clear across the world can help you prepare for the call and attend as long as they have the um, proper um, Wi-Fi connection, which is problematic for some, uh, and uh, of course, keeping the time change in mind. So preparing a list of questions with someone whose judgment you trust, who can take notes, who can provide some backup for you is something that the pandemic brought us that we never had expected before. Um, and it's important to, to use, uh, to ask people that you trust and if they ask to help, if there's any way to help you, sometimes being on a call with your provider can be extremely helpful to them. One other thing I'd like to speak about is the um, computerization of our, um, our notes. Um, there in the United States, there was a, a, something called the 21st Century Cures Act that was passed a long time ago um, and uh, with the changes in the electronic medical record and then the pandemic, a lot of those changes were actually put on hold. But it does seem like um, pretty much in the next few weeks that the 21st Century Cures Act is actually fully going into effect. And what that means is that if you are allowed to get, if, if you and your provider uh, are part of a larger electronic medical record, electronic health record system, and you're able to see your test results, uh, office notes, and those include uh, lab uh, blood tests, urine tests, stool tests, x-rays, different imaging studies, MRIs, CAT scans, all of, those in, all of those studies that are done, even pathology reports, those are posted to the electronic medical record. 
Um, these can be very helpful because you get answers to your questions much faster than you would otherwise, but it also provides many obstacles. Uh, reading these uh, reports, it takes a lot of finesse and a lot of training to understand them well. And especially during treatment, we do expect that a number of the results, let's say in the blood work, are in the abnormal range. It's important that they be in the abnormal range. And if not, um, then the providers need to uh, try to investigate why that's not happening. So it is rather common, just to give one example, for your white blood cell count, the cells that fight infections, to fall during much uh, many uh, um, chemotherapy treatments or even during radiation. And if it doesn't, we need to question why. So it's important when you look at the results of those tests and you look at the ranges of normal, not to jump to conclusions that if something is off, um, that it's uh, significant. It may not be. It may, maybe should be. Or something may be worrisome if it's hundreds or thousands of units off of the uh, normal range. But if it's two units above or two units below, that's pretty acceptable. So uh, if you do read this, these reports, which will under the law become available as soon as the report is made, make sure that you have help from your provider's office to interpret them, whether the, uh, in a telehealth visit or a telephone call or an in-person visit. Some people I have heard um, are not even signing on and looking at the results because they don't know how to interpret the reports. So um, it's a, just a word to the wise. These are technological advances that have, have surprised all of us during the pandemic. And uh, we need to use them to everybody's advantage, patients, families, and providers. I will end there and turn the call back to Dr. Messner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was so informative and um, a lot of good information for people to have. And I know there'll be questions for you um, during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Karen Hurley. Um, and Dr. Hurley is a psychologist with Hereditary Cancer Risk, clinical member of Cancer Prevention Control and Population Research Program, Case Comprehensive Cancer Center, Cleveland Clinic. And Dr. Hurley will be addressing recommendations for coping with fear of recurrence, balancing reality with stress management tips, using mind-body techniques to cope with fear of recurrence, and how to select the mind-body techniques that are best for you. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Hurley. I want to say thank you so much for having me back. This, is all, this uh, event is always one of the most uh, meaningful uh, uh, events in, uh, in the yearly cycle, and um, it's a pleasure to be here again. Um, I'd also like to say a special uh, a greeting to um, our audience, especially if there's anyone out there who is living with uh, metastatic disease. Maybe you're in a, um, a situation of being on uh, maintenance chemo, and that a lot of the things that I'll be talking about will apply equally to fear of progression as well as fear of recurrence. Um, so first of all, I want to thank um, my uh, two colleagues for you know, validating a, a number of ways in which um, uh, cancer and cancer recurrence are challenging, it, it, which is as a way to say that it is natural to be anxious about fear of recurrence. This is, um, 
something that, that can be, you know, a threat to physical and mental well-being. So it does deserve attention. And so what I want to do is to uh, take another uh, step uh, deeper into the more personal aspects of uh, experiencing anxiety and what to do with and for your anxiety. Um, so it is natural to want to get rid of anxiety when you have it because it is highly uncomfortable, agitating, it can cause physical symptoms, it keeps you up at night, and it does have a way piling anxiety can generate more anxiety pretty quickly and, and start spiraling on you. Um, and if you're trying to make it go away, like you're trying to take a deep breath and it doesn't work, or at least it's not working right away, that can also add anxiety. So um, one thing that's really important is to be able to recognize is if you're in one of these spirals where you're starting to try to push the anxiety away, especially if there's like a frantic attempt to uh, get your anxiety under control, that franticness itself is uh, anxiety generating. So um, what we want to do is to start to think about ways of uh, matching uh, techniques to a level of anxiety. So first, we do need to understand a little more about the nature of your anxiety. So for example, for uh, at least some people, um, anxiety about cancer or cancer recurrence can be triggering memories of other stress that may not even be related to cancer, but they're associated uh, through uh, similar themes. And so part of what may be is that you may be dealing with prior stress and trauma that you're then trying with techniques that are directed against the cancer anxiety alone. So that may require a little more introspection about how deep does this really go? How deep are the roots of the anxiety that you're experiencing? Um, another thing is that, um, you know, information gathering is good, but if you are an over-Googler, right, and uh, you're trying to counter your anxious thoughts by gathering more information, what can happen is that you can start to have thoughts chasing thoughts. And then you have a situation where one or more voices in your head are arguing with each other about what you've been Googling and whether a, you know, a symptom is or is not something that's worth you know, talking to your doctor about, you know, which is why it's so good that um, you know, our physician colleagues have spoken about the importance of communication about symptoms that you may be having. So uh, what I've learned over the years in sitting in the room with many, many people who are worried about cancer risk, uh, cancer recurrence, or cancer progression is that instead of being chased away, your anxiety may be something that needs tending. Your anxiety may actually need you to pay closer attention. So instead of pushing it away is that you can try to move closer to it, learn more about it. Um, and um, you may learn that there are other feelings that are mixed in with your anxiety. For example, some people will be uh, very angry about their cancer diagnosis, that they did everything right, and then they got cancer anyway. So now what are you supposed to do in order to protect yourself 
as uh, treatment draws to a close and you're wanting to know uh, how to uh, control your risk. Um, you may feel um, lost because no one can promise you that it won't come back, even if you do, quote, everything right and follow the recommendations you get. You may feel demoralized that you got knocked off track of something that was important in your life, whether it's school, building family, uh, work, um, you know, family obligations. Um, so uh, it, it, there may be ways in which you can re-engage with your goals, and there may be some goals that need to be changed or dropped altogether, which is a, uh, a painful process, or can be, and one that requires time to sort through. Um, Dr. Fleischman spoke very well about um, uh, the uncertainty of, uh, of life, uh, you know, during and after treatment, and basically that making plans or, or cultivating hopes again uh, feels vulnerable. If they've gotten knocked over to the side once, what's to stop that from happening again? So there's a new sense of vulnerability um, uh, that you, um, you know, that we learn to live with that may already, it may always have been there, but there's a new sensitivity to how vulnerable our future plans really are. Uh, one way that you can engage in and move closer to your anxiety and get to know it is to picture it, because if you can picture it in your imagination, you can work with it. You can dialogue with it. I had one patient uh, a couple days ago. I asked her, you know, picture your uh, picture anxiety, and she said it's a lightning bolt, and that opened up a whole conversation about intensity and energy and how she used energy, and um, and it, it gave us um, ways to talk about other coping strategies that incorporated that sense of energy. So another thing you can do is when you're imagining your fear, ask it, what does it need? What does it need from you? Which shifts you from being in a powerless position related to your anxiety to one of being the, uh, being the providing adult, being the one who has um, ways of giving good attention to your anxiety. Um, so, uh, a couple of specific techniques that are mind-body oriented, and these are things that do not require a class or, or, you know, downloading an app or anything. One is called, I call the breath brush, which is basically to take a normal breath, not trying to do a deep breath, and to imagine that it can travel inside and it can find those anxious sensations and brush over them really lightly the way you, um, you know, maybe like a feather or the way that you would touch a baby's forehead. And that calming, soothing, stroking action of your breath can help you cultivate that uh, attentive relationship to your anxiety. Um, you can also focus on coping statements. What are things that are real and true that you can say uh, about uh, your situation? You know, um, if somebody tells you everything's going to be fine or stay positive, you know, those aren't going to, those may not be very reassuring. But being able to say things like, I'm in good hands with my team. 
I'm doing what I can do with what I have. These are things that are real and true about, um, about coping with your, um, uh, the possibility of uh, cancer. Um, so in closing, um, I want to say that um, one of my goals in terms of coping with anxiety is getting it to a place where it's neither bigger nor smaller than it is. We do want to validate anxiety enough to give it attention that it deserves, but that it does not overshadow the meaningful activities in your life. What are the things that connect you to other people that make you feel, um, that give you that sense of purpose um, and that give you a sense of fulfillment and that the anxiety, while present at times, does not overshadow what makes life important to you. And with that, I will turn back to um, Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Hurley. That was really outstanding and really wonderful ways to, um, wonderful tips to give, that you gave all of us to use in terms of uh, coping with um, our concerns of recurrence of, uh, of um, triple negative breast cancer. So wonderful. Thank you so much. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. Um, and our next speaker is uh, Ms. Haley Dinneman. And Ms. Dinneman is actually a, a partner on today's program, um, on a number of these programs we have coming up. So we have many triple negative programs coming up. She's co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer, Found triple negative Breast Cancer Foundation. And she also is a lawyer by training. And Ms. Dinneman will be addressing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, Foundation's free programs and services, and we'll give you information about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer um, helpline and website. Um, so I'm going to, with pleasure, turn this program over to my esteemed partner, um, and uh, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for the kind introduction. Thank you also to my fellow speakers for the excellent presentations, to our sponsors, and of course to all of you listening today. Today's teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community, from patients to survivors to caregivers and loved ones. Fear of recurrence is a huge factor in our community, and we try to address it in many of our programs, including this one here today. I'd like to highlight a few of our other offerings as well. First, we have many TNBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads from our website. Our popular materials were developed with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. Like all of our other all of our educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues like fear of recurrence that are important to you. These materials also address topics of particular interest to certain members of our TNBC community, including African American women, those with BRCA mutations, those with early stage diagnoses, and those with metastatic disease. We've worked really hard to make sure that every member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in these materials, so I hope you'll use them to your benefit. Our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services. They are much easier to navigate than other portals. Um, our website also has a constantly updated TNBC news section 
and another favorite of our community, our online discussion forums. These forums, as well as our private TNBC Foundation Facebook groups, allow you to easily connect with thousands of women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community members use the forums and private Facebook groups to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, um, and how to live your best life after treatment. But most importantly, our online forums and groups offer consistent support. You can even join the discussion forums anonymously if you prefer. And these online resources are here to help you and to remind you that you are not alone. While the TNBC Foundation normally makes every effort to meet you, meet with you in person, the past couple of years have forced us to make some adjustments for everyone's safety. But with these challenges, um, we also have had some great opportunities to create new virtual programs. We have three regularly scheduled online Zoom meetups for our TNBC community. They are Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends, and Thriver Thursdays. These online support groups have allowed us to connect as a community throughout the pandemic, and even now that things are going back to normal, these Zoom meetups continue to offer incredible support to so many women who join us monthly to connect, to, con to share experiences, and to build friendships. You can sign up for, the, for our next meetups on tnbcfoundation.org. The information is right on our homepage with the next Thriver Thursday meetup taking place on September 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We're also planning our second annual virtual 5K for October and a variety of programs surrounding the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium in December. For those of you who will not be able to attend the symposium in person this December, we'll be taking you along with us virtually so that you can learn about new and emerging TNBC research. It's going to be a great experience, and I hope you'll be able to join us. If you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll get regular updates and be able to register for these and all our other upcoming programs. In the meantime, we look forward to connecting with you on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Dinnerman. That was really outstanding and a wonderful resource for everybody on this program. Many of you know about the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, but if you don't, please do take advantage of it. It's a wonderful resource. And our next speaker is Ms. Lauren Chatelian. She's an oncology social worker, director of advocacy for cancer care, and she'll be reviewing with you the free psychosocial services offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline. Um, my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Chatelian. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, and thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm very excited to be here on this program. My name is Lauren, and I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, as well as Cancer Care's Director of Advocacy. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure that people impacted by TNBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline, which is generously funded by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, provides callers with access to comprehensive services. These services include resource navigation, counseling and support groups, educational workshops, virtual community programs, including coping circles, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the TNBC helpline, individuals are connected with an oncology social worker, aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when diagnosed with TNBC. 
There are many aspects of a TNBC diagnosis that could be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services, which have been mentioned throughout our call today. This could include offering space to express one's feelings, emotions, and concerns related to recurrence. It is possible that follow-up appointments or milestones may elicit many mixed emotions. And thinking about fears related to recurrence, it may be helpful to take into account techniques that have been useful in coping with your diagnosis, determining what may be comforting to you currently, and creating a list of self-care activities. New ways of coping may be explored and developed as Dr. Hurley spoke about. Joining a support group can be another way of coping with this diagnosis. It can be a way of connecting with others going through a similar experience. A support group may help to reduce feelings of loneliness and help to increase feelings of hope and empowerment. Through our partnership, Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation offer the TNBC Patient Support Group and the TNBC Breast Cancer um, Caregiver Support Group for those caring for a loved one diagnosed with TNBC. These online support groups take place using a password-protected message board format and are led by oncology social workers who offer support and guidance. Groups are held for 15 weeks at a time. The next cycle will begin October 3rd. You can find registration on a listing of upcoming support groups on Cancer Care's website, cancercare.org. TNBC-specific groups can also be found on the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's website at tnbcfoundation.org. If you are interested in learning more about the support services both organizations offer through our partnership, I encourage you to call the TNBC helpline at 877-880-8622. We are here to offer you support throughout this experience and look forward to hearing from you. Thank you for your attention and the opportunity to speak today. It has been such a pleasure to be a part of this very informative program. I'll now turn the workshop back to Dr. Mesner. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Chatelian. That was an outstanding presentation, a wonderful resources for people to access, and so thank you so much. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And now I'm going to ask Cody to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So Cody will explain to you how to queue up for questions, and um, Cody? <laughs> okay. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please send by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. A voice prompt on your phone line will indicate once your line is open. At that point, please state your, your first name and last initial before posing your question. If your question has been answered, please press star 2 to remove yourself from the queue. Those of you on the web may submit your questions by clicking Ask a Question. And all speakers are at this time open as well. Okay, thank you so much, Cody. And all of our speaker lines are open now, so I'm going to take this will be our first question. And this, will, this question will be for Dr. Moore. I am dealing with triple negative breast cancer um, recurrence and just finished Gemsar and Carboplatinum. Is that the go-to chemo getting ready to start five weeks of radiation? And Dr. Um, uh, Moore, could you address this in a general way since, of course, it's a specific question, but if you could give some guidelines about this. Thank you. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thank you for the question. So there's really no one-size-fits-all uh, approach to recurrent triple negative breast cancer. Typically, what we would want to do is determine the extent of the cancer. So um, you might undergo staging evaluation to identify if this is what we call a local regional recurrence, so in the breast or the 
lymph nodes immediately draining the breast, or whether this is what we consider metastatic disease or involvement of organs outside the breast and regional lymph nodes. And the treatment choice will also take into consideration what prior treatment you may have had um, at your initial diagnosis. Typically, when there is recurrent disease, particularly when it's metastatic, we'll want to get a little bit more information. We like to repeat the receptor studies and make sure, because occasionally we can see conversion to HER2 positive or even to hormone receptor positive. So we want to make sure that the markers are what we expect they are. Uh, we'll also typically test for something called PDL1, which can help us to decide whether adding immunotherapy to the chemotherapy is likely to be beneficial. Another test that we'll recommend at the time of recurrence, if it's not previously been done, although many patients uh, who've had triple negative disease will have had this testing at their initial diagnosis, but we would want to do testing for BRCA mutations and for another mutation called PALB2. And the reason for doing that at the time of recurrence is there are treatments very specific to those individuals who carry these mutations um, that may be an alternative to chemotherapy. So that's so we typically want to get as much information as we can about the cancer. And then treatment will often include chemotherapy. In some situations, it will be a single chemotherapy drug. In others, it will be a combination of chemotherapies, such as what was received uh, by this individual. Um, and then sometimes immunotherapy can be added to that. Uh, for individuals who have these specific mutations, we might be able to um, delay chemotherapy and give um, something like a PARP inhibitor if there's a BRCA1 or 2 mutation. And then finally, we can do more detailed tumor genomic profiling, which might inform future treatment options or even clinical trial options um, if we can find other drivers of the cancer. Thank you. And um, another question actually for you, Dr. Moore. Um, Let's see. Um, since there is a greater chance a triple negative will someday develop brain metastases since the chemo used does not penetrate the blood-brain barrier, do you order a baseline brain MRI for triple negative breast cancer? So it kind of depends on the situation. Unfortunately, the, the yield on getting brain imaging at sort of a, a random time is not very high. And in early stage disease, we typically don't do that. Certainly, should any concerning symptoms develop, we would have a low threshold for doing so. And then certain behavior of the metastatic disease or certain sites may have a little bit higher association with brain metastases. So it is worth considering, um, for instance, in somebody with liver metastases who may have a, a higher risk of of central nervous system metastases. Um, the problem is that there's a, a very typically, um, you know, if we do scans now, it doesn't necessarily tell us what's going to be there a few months from now. So the yield tends to be a little bit better if we are just very vigilant and obtain imaging um, as soon as any symptoms develop. Excellent. Um, thank you. Um, Um, and then um, 
a question for Dr. Hurley. If you could say a little bit more, um, Dr. Hurley, about um, the issue of coping with the fears of recurrence. Oh, if I could say a little bit more about it. Or about, um, about it, yes, just coping with the fears of recurrence, even though you did address that, just to say a little bit more about those particular techniques. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not exactly uh, sure, uh, you know, uh, what part uh, someone was hoping I would expand. Um, but uh, what I can say is, you know, there, there are lots of uh, tips you know, out there about uh, coping with anxiety uh, in general that certainly could, uh, you know, apply. You know, the reason I didn't go into a laundry list of things like meditation, yoga, prioritizing um, uh, pleasurable activities, um, uh, and, and things of that nature is that advice is widely available. I wanted to speak um, very specifically about things that you know I talk about in the room when I'm doing therapy with uh, patients. One thing I could say is you know uh, what are some signs that you may need uh, to consult a psychiatrist, a psychologist, or a social worker. Um, you know where uh, tips are not going to be enough. Those might be um, persistent intrusive thoughts that, uh, uh, when you're thinking about uh, recurrence when you can't mean to, when you don't mean to, when it's happening every day. If you're finding yourself uh, doing avoidance behaviors uh, like not being in touch with your medical team, uh, turning off the TV when you, you know, uh, uh, a program about cancer comes on, uh, feeling uh, very jumpy, nervous, or irritable. Uh, these might be signs that um, that a personalized exploration of the anxiety with someone to professional who may help you consider things like uh, different forms of psychotherapy or possibly medication. Excellent. Um, and. Um a question from Dr. Moore, where should a person go for care if she develops breast cancer during pregnancy? What if it's metastatic recurrence? So yeah, so so breast cancer during pregnancy is something that we deal with not infrequently. And it I, I think just it's important to go with some to see somebody who has experience um, in treating women who have uh, you know, have been pregnant during chemotherapy treatment. Surprisingly, many of our chemotherapy drugs can safely be given in the setting of pregnancy. Uh, pregnancy during metastatic breast cancer is a bigger challenge, and so I, I think getting to a large academic center where they would have experience in this would be very important. Excellent. And um, another question for you, who talked to more. Um, what are the best diagnostic tools and imaging for prevention, and how often? So, unfortunately, imaging does not prevent recurrence, and we are trying to learn if some of the newer technologies, which are currently available, but we don't know what to do with, um, such as finding circulating tumor DNA and very, very, you know small amounts of um, cancer, whether detecting these can 
result in an intervention that could then prevent recurrence. So that's an unknown right now, and that's um, an area of ongoing research. So right now, um, the things that can be done to prevent recurrence uh, include adjuvant treatments, such as radiation and chemotherapy, um, as well as now immunotherapy. And um, there also appear to be some lifestyle things that actually make a difference. Exercise has, um, and, uh, has been shown that people who exercise tend to have lower rates of disease recurrence. And there are some dietary uh, behaviors that have been shown to reduce the risk of recurrence of breast cancer, including um, more of a diabetes risk-reducing diet, so largely um, whole foods, plant-based, um, limiting processed foods, and um, simple carbohydrates seems to be beneficial in terms of reducing breast cancer recurrence. Excellent. Um, and um, I'm going to ask, um, since I realize there are so many questions here, um, we're not getting to all of them. Um, I'll say something about those at the end, but um, I think I'm going to ask each of our speakers if you would just provide a takeaway um, from today's program. Um, um, well, I guess this is the question for Do actually one more question for Dr. Moore. What is the risk of TNBC recurring or metastasizing after five years post-diagnosis? So, so that's kind of one of the hidden secrets about triple negative disease. While we think of it as a high-risk situation, um, most of those recurrences are going to happen early on if they do. So those who are five or more years out from an initial diagnosis of early stage breast cancer are actually at low risk uh, for developing metastatic disease um, since most of that risk period has passed. Um, that's a little bit different from the hormone receptor positive cancers where um, perhaps the, the risk is lower in those first five years, but, but the risk is ongoing. Uh, over time. Excellent. And just to conclude the program, I'm going to ask each of our speakers to provide a takeaway, and I'll have you speak in the order that you presented. So I'm going to ask um, um, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Moore if you would go first, just a sentence or two about a takeaway that you'd like people to take away from today's program. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely normal to have uh, fear of recurrence at, at some level, and um, it's highly variable. And uh, the other key is communication, whether it's communication about your fears or about your goals, um, and, uh, and making sure that that's a two-way communication with you and your provider. Excellent. Um, and um, uh, Dr. Fleischman, if you could comment on the takeaway that you'd like people to have from today's program? Sure. I, I, we all talk about all of the um, very, very bad things that we've been living through in the pandemic these past few years, but the idea of opening up our communication electronically, um, whether it's a visit with our providers or looking at our records, has been very helpful to many people, though not perfect. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and Dr. Hurley? Uh, yes, uh, one thing that um, I wanted to offer is the idea of living at the top of your vitality. This is a really great tool for people who um, may, you know, as they're coming out of treatment, still have a lot of variability in their fatigue level. 
So, uh, and this goes, you know, back to the idea of uncertainty. So that if you have uh, kind of a running list of your head of things you can do on a high, medium, and low energy day, and you pick from that list from day to day, depending on how you're feeling, that's a way of uh, tuning into your body, mind, and its needs. Excellent. Thank you. And Ms. Italian. Yes, of course. Just want to echo what everyone else had mentioned. Um, you know, these are very valid feelings. It's a very challenging time experiencing fear of recurrence. And just to mention that there is support available in determining, you know, what works best for you. That could range from individualized support to different coping techniques to support groups. Um, I would definitely say, you know, encourage to tap into these different resources and, you know, please reach out, you know, if we can help along that way. Oh, thank you so much. And um, I have to say that um, this is just a great um, resource um, for everyone. Now, I do want to comment that um, we have many more questions in queue. Um, and so I do want to address these questions. For those, for those of you who had a chance to ask a question, for those of you who have a question that are, that are in queue and didn't get to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question you'd like to ask, Please take everything you've learned from today's program back to your treating healthcare team, including those who asked a question, um, and please address that question with your treating healthcare team. So important because your healthcare team has all the information about you. They have your records and all this information about you specifically. And your healthcare team, remember, consists of both your medical oncologist, your radiation oncologist, surgical oncologist, your oncology nurse, oncology social worker, patient navigator, financial assistance navigator. There's a whole team of people there to help you. So please take advantage of that team. Also, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel you're alone in coping with triple negative breast cancer and in worrying about the fear of coping with fear of occurrence. I want you to now know that you're part of a community of support. We're all here to help you, including your healthcare team. And you do have the triple negative breast cancer foundation and cancer care as well to help you. So please do take advantage of these resources. Um, uh, tomorrow you'll be getting a Survey Monkey evaluation to evaluate the program, so that we appreciate you filling that out. But in addition to that, you'll also be getting um, a list of additional resources that you can use in addition to your healthcare team that are credible resources, well-respected, and that they, their information is up-to-date you know, this year, this month, so you actually get most up-to-date information. That's very, very important. And we have a whole bunch of more triple negative programs coming up. Um, and so, um, so please, triple negative breast cancer programs, we have a bunch of them coming up almost every month, sometimes two a month. So stay tuned. You'll be hearing more about those programs as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.